0: Begin the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 15. Uh, there are only eight verses in this whole chapter, but I think there's a lot here. Uh, before we begin, though, why don't we take a minute and uh, pray and just ask God to help us to understand and to speak to us through this time? Uh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you reveal your will and your ways to us. We're so thankful that you have shown us what's going to take place in the days ahead so that we can be prepared. And we do ask you, Lord, that you give us understanding today. We really need to uh, understand and apply these things to our lives and really take seriously the fact that your son is coming back, that there is indeed a judgment that's going to take place in this world. And uh, we really do want to be ready. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to remind you that both uh, chapters 14 and 15 of Revelation provide a glimpse of things that are happening up in heaven and not on the earth. And this is often how it happens, I think, with the ways of God, that, that things are either decided in heaven or they happen up in heaven or they're illustrated up in heaven, but then they're fleshed out on the earth. I'm reminded how Jesus talked about the fact that he could only do what he saw his father doing Now, I don't know in what sense that was true, but Jesus was basically saying, I saw my father doing this, <clears throat> and therefore, this is what I did in fleshing it out. Let's begin, though, by reading verse one of Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven, seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them... God's wrath will be completed. Uh, This expression, great and awe-inspiring signs, is uh, a phrase that could mean awesome symbolic display. My Bible actually has a footnote that says that that's how we understand this awesome symbolic display. A number of the things are presented to John as symbols. We take, of course, a lot of revelation very literally. We, we, as we read various things, uh, hopefully we can identify which things are supposed to be taken literally as events that'll actually happen and which things are symbolic. But in this case, it's spelled out that what he's seeing is symbolic. And I think sometimes our ability to even understand things is enhanced by symbols. In other words, sometimes seeing a symbol would would give us greater clarity than if the thing just unfolded. Now verse one says that we're we're seeing seven angels with the seven last plagues. I've mentioned before many times that the number seven has significance, that it means uh, one, it's the number of completion, and then number two, it's God's number. And so the number six is the number for humanity. The number seven is God's number. And so I think what's being illustrated here is that this is God showing the final or the completion of the judgment to come. And of course, in this case, they are literally seven last plagues. Now I wanna note the fact that the word plagues is used here. And if you think in your mind, when, when have I seen examples in the Bible where the word plagues was used? And And my mind immediately goes back to the book of Exodus. And I'm reminded of the scene in Exodus where where God released the, the Israelites out of Egypt after there had been 10 plagues that took place. Now I wanna suggest here today that it's possible that the book of Exodus and especially the story involving the people of Israel and Moses leading them out of slavery and the plagues and all that, I'd like to suggest that those are not only historic stories, but it's possible that they were intended to be prophetic. It's possible that they were meant to point to a future day when God was going to do a similar thing, where he was going to visit the earth with plagues And that out of those plagues, the Israelites would come and join together and form a a new nation over which Christ would rule. And so there are similarities here with the Exodus and what we're reading about in the book of Revelation. And I hope to touch on that next week as we look at Revelation chapter 16. Now, I wanna remind you that in, in the book of Revelation, we read about seven seals We read about seven trumpets and we read about seven bowls. And I want to talk about each of these again because I want us to understand where we are in this timeline. One of the things to understand is that the seventh one of each of these encompassed the next whole set. And so what I mean by this is that we read about there being seven seals that had to be opened up for judgment to begin. And the seventh seal was the seven trumpets. And so it's like the seven trumpets were tucked into the seventh seal. It's almost like a telescope uh, where you pull out a telescoping um, eyepiece or whatever where where you get a closer view of this. And so, and then when you get to the seven trumpets, the last one of them contains all seven of the bowls, and so it's a telescoping type of view that we're seeing here. Well, anyway, when the seventh seal was open, we read about the seven trumpets that are about to be blown. And so again, we have seven seals, we have seven trumpets and seven bowls. Now, from my perspective, the first six seals occur during the first half of the tribulation period. They're found in Revelation chapter six, but all first six of the seals happen at the beginning of the tribulation period or even before. I think a lot of these events are actually happening today but they'll, they'll happen in a greater way when we hit the tribulation period. And so the first seal you may remember was the Antichrist and false prophets. And we read about this in Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus referred to the exact same idea. In Matthew 24 and verse four, we read, then Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. The first seal is false Christ and it is specifically I think the antichrist And he's depicted in Revelation chapter six as a rider riding a white horse. And you say, why is the horse white? Well, he is pretending to be divine. He's gonna be someone who's gonna be pretending to be holy and righteous and good, but he's not in actuality going to be that at all. He's gonna be the opposite. But anyway, the first seal is the Antichrist and false prophets. The second seal is wars and rumors of wars. And in Revelation 6, this was depicted as being a red horse, which this is likely representative of the color of blood. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24 and verse 6. He said, you are going to hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, a lot of people think that the world is gonna get better and better and more and more peaceful, and it'll usher in the millennial kingdom. But my view of scripture, as I read verses like this, indicate that actually things are going to get worse and worse. The world has always known wars and rumors of wars, and it's gonna get worse. And we know even that in the, the uh, kingdom of the antichrist, that there's going to be some wars taking place that that initial kingdom is gonna have 10 nations that represent it, but then the Antichrist is gonna defeat three of those other countries. Uh, and so you realize that these wars are gonna continue throughout this period of time. The third seal is, represents famine. This is depicted in the book of Revelation as a black horse and the black horse is actually carrying a scale in his hand and it's a picture of the fact that there's gonna be a shortage of food during this first half of the tribulation period and that it's gonna cost a lot of money. In Revelation chapter four, of course, Jesus talked about this in in 24 seven, I'm sorry, he said, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines and earthquakes. Of course, I think we're seeing an increase in in these things in our day and age as well. It's quite likely, by the way, that these famines are a direct result of the wars that are taking place, because we know this is exactly what happens in war-torn areas. The fourth seal represents death, and of course, the color of the horse that we read about in Revelation chapter six is that it's a pale horse, that is the color of death. And in some ways, I think this is the culmination of the things that come before it that we read about in Matthew and that we read about in Revelation chapter six. Now, these first four seals represent the beginning of hard times. A change takes place, though, when we get to the fifth seal. The fifth seal, from my perspective, takes place in the middle of the tribulation period, and it launches what has been called the great tribulation. And it's called that primarily because of the persecution that's gonna break out against the people of God. A persecution that'll start against Jews and then will continue toward Christians. So the fifth seal is martyrdom. Martyrdom of Jews and Christians. And of course, Jesus talked about this as well in Matthew 24 and verse nine. He said, then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Now, I wanna note the fact that in Revelation chapter six, as we read about these seals, they line up exactly with what Jesus said and in the exact same order of what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24. And so this is partially how we understand how to interpret the book of Revelation. We compare it with, it, with what Jesus said, but also what is recorded in the book of Daniel. Now again, the fifth seal, takes place in the middle of this tribulation period. The Antichrist is going to have made an agreement with Israel for seven years, but he's gonna break the agreement in the middle. He's going to declare himself to be God in Jerusalem, right where the sacrifice takes place. Some feel he's actually gonna sacrifice a pig on the altar there to desecrate it, which is something that happened in the past historically with another emperor, But anyway, this is gonna launch the beginning of a persecution because Christians and Jews will not bow down to the Antichrist. The sixth seal, from my perspective, represents the beginning of the judgment of God. In other words, when you get to the sixth seal, we're gonna see some kind of divine things take place. It also, though, represents something else. See, I think what's happening in this sixth seal is that God is trying to get the attention of the people. And so, even though this is, I think, a sign of the beginning of the judgment of God, it is also intended to serve as a warning. Everyone on the earth is gonna see what God's gonna do in this sixth seal. In Revelation 6, 12 through 14, we read what's gonna happen. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky separated like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Now, Jesus again affirmed this exact same thing in his talk and in exactly the right location as I would expect it in Matthew 24, 29. Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, that's the great tribulation, the persecution against the Christians and Jews, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Now, what I want us to realize about this is that these seals up to this point, seals one through five, are very um, natural, in terms of, of what we experience in our day and age today. In other words, even today in our world, we see wars and rumors of wars. We see famines, we hear of earthquakes and, and all of these things are very common in our world today. But when you get to this sixth seal, you just get this sense something big is about to have happen. It is the beginning, I think, of the judgment of God and it's, the, it's also intended again to get the attention of the world that God is about to do something Now, I believe also that this is where the rapture happens. After this sign in the heavens, in fact, it might be at the same time, Jesus is gonna appear in the heavens and those who are believers in Christ are gonna join him in the air in an event that we call the rapture. The rapture just means to be caught up. We're gonna be caught up together to be with Jesus and I think it's after this sixth seal, but before the seventh. Now, why does that matter? Well, I mentioned before that the seventh seal encompasses what are called the trumpet judgments. And this is something that we as Christians are going to be spared. The seventh seal is the beginning of the official wrath of God on the world. It's the beginning of God's judgment on the world. And this is why I say the sixth seal was primarily intended to be a sign. That everyone will see, boy, something's happening with the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky and they're gonna be afraid and they're gonna wonder what's happening and it's signaling that more is coming and I think all of this happens at the moment Jesus appears because Jesus had told his disciples, I'm coming back and the angels had said to those gathered around when Jesus ascended into heaven, the 500 on the mountain, some angels said, why are you looking up? The same Jesus is coming back in the clouds in exactly the same way. Now, as evidence of the fact that this seventh seal begins the judgment of God and that this is where the rapture takes place, if you go to the end of Revelation chapter seven, you'll see that suddenly a group of people appears in heaven from every tongue and tribe and nation. People that cannot be numbered for the quantity of them. There's so many of them and they just show up in heaven. People that have a pre-tribulational view, in other words, they think that, that we're gonna disappear or be taken up to be with Jesus before the seven years even starts or before any of this happens, they don't or aren't able to explain who these people are in heaven. But this is exactly where I would expect it from my perspective that we would experience some of these things. We'd experience the persecution. But then, just before God comes to judge the world, He would remove us, just like God, after He had sealed Noah in the ark, then the flood waters came. And so now we come to the, the seals and the seventh, or the trumpets. The seventh seal represents, again, the trumpet judgments. They're tucked inside of this seventh seal. And so when that is opened, it's opening up then these trumpet judgments. What are the trumpet judgments? Well, the first trumpet was that a third of the earth is burned up. Now, this is the beginning of the judgment of God. And I, I think, if you think about this for a moment, a third of the earth You know, right now we're dealing in our country with all the fires out in California, but can you imagine what it will be like when a third of the earth is on fire? This is the beginning of the wrath of God against the world. The second trumpet is a third of the sea will become blood. The third trumpet was that a third of the waters will become poisonous. The fourth trumpet is a third of the sun, moon, and stars are going to be darkened. Now, part of the reason I'm or reviewing all of this is that when we get into the next chapter, in chapter 16, I want us to see the parallels between some of these judgments, some of these plagues, and what happened in Egypt. When the fifth trumpet is blown, demonic locusts are re- released from the abyss, and I take that literally. I take these to be demonic, spiritual beings that have been in this abyss all this time and they're being released for this exact hour. And it says that they'll be sent out to torment the people on the earth. The sixth trumpet, we read all, or one third of all the people on the earth die. And then when you get to the seventh trumpet, you come to the bowl judgments. And again, the the, the seven bowl judgments are tucked into this seventh trumpet. And so when it is blown, when that trumpet is blown, it is time now for the bold judgments. And that brings us up to where we are today. In Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter fifteen and verse one, we read, Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven, seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. Now again, this is taking place in heaven, and these plagues These judgments, the bowl judgments, which it's really illustrated like a bowl being poured out upon the earth. These these bowls judgments are gonna be fleshed out in the chapters that follow. But right now, it's just telling us about these things that are going to take place and we get a glimpse of them in heaven. Let's move to chapter 15 and verse two, where we see that again, the scene is still up in heaven. This hasn't yet been unleashed on the world. In Revelation 15 too, I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had won the victory over the beast, his image and the number of his name were standing on the sea of glass with harps before God. Now we were first introduced to this sea of glass in Revelation chapter four, where again we read that God was seated on his throne and surrounding the throne was this, uh, this sea of glass. Only then... In Revelation chapter four, there were 24 elders there and there were the cherubim there. And I agree with what Dr. Wiersbe says about this. He says, a pure crystal sea symbolizes God's holiness and the mingled fire speaks of God's holy judgment. And so what we see is that in heaven, things are getting ready for God to pour out his judgment on the earth. But here's what I want us to see about this second verse there's a group of people that shows up in heaven at this point that were not there before. There are ones who are described in this way. They're ones who had won victory over the beast, his image, and the number of his name. Now, who are these people that suddenly are up in heaven there? I think these are martyrs for Christ. These are ones who were put to death after the middle of the tribulation period and before the rapture. These were ones who, who died as martyrs, and now they find themselves up in heaven. What's interesting about this description here is that this describes this group as being ones who won, and yet they're ones who lost. It looks like, for example, in their case, that the Antichrist won, that they were martyred. How, in what sense is this a victory? And I think this is the victory in a couple senses. Number one is it proves that their faith was real, that it was true. These were ones who refused to bow before the Antichrist. They were ones who refused to bow before the image of the Antichrist. These were ones who refused to get the mark 666 on their hands or their foreheads. These were ones who were willing to go the distance because they knew that death was not the end of the story. And the very fact that they're standing in the presence of God in heaven shows that they had overcome. But what's interesting to me is that the Antichrist had tried to defeat these ones and they had said, you will submit to me, you will bow down to me, you will bow down before my image, you will get my mark, you will deny Jesus. And all of them won because they said, no, we won't. You can't make us. And in this since I think they defeated the Antichrist. Now again, I think this is the group that come out, comes out of the great tri- tribulation as martyrs. But like other groups that we've read about in the book of Revelation, we find them singing songs of worship. And each of the different groups we've read about that are singing to God, they're singing different songs. And they're all songs of victory. And so we continue in Verse three about this group, these martyrs. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name because you alone are holy. For all these nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. Now this is called the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. If you go to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, you read about a song of Moses. You remember how God had raised up Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and how God had visited again the, uh, the Egyptians with these 10 plagues, at the end of which they were allowed to go free. And so the Israelites left the land of Egypt and they were heading for what has been called the Promised Land. I suspect there were close to two million of them at this time being led by Moses. At a certain point though, the Egyptians changed their mind about letting them go. And the Egyptians began to pursue them. The problem was that the Israelites had come to the Red Sea and there was no way that they could move forward And yet behind them, the Egyptians were coming and they did not know what to do and they cried out to God. And if you know the story, you know what happened is that God parted the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites walked through on dry ground and when they were at the other side, suddenly God allowed the Egyptians to follow them because he had been holding them back and the Egyptians followed into the Red Sea and then God caused the waters to come back and, and they all drown. And when they were on the other side, the Israelites, when they saw what happened and the victory that God had given to them, they sang a song. The song is found in Exodus 15:1 through three. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. You can see how this is beginning to fit what's about to happen in terms of the world and how God is gonna be a warrior, how Jesus is gonna come. We read about in in Revelation 19, he's gonna come as a horse in victory. He's gonna defeat the enemies. And again, the fact that these martyrs are in heaven, they're saying, you, you have delivered us. Even though we died in the world, we didn't die, really. We find ourselves in your presence. We are part of the victorious group and we sing of your praise because you got us here and they're rejoicing in heaven. And they're also, I think, rejoicing about the justice. And I think sometimes people struggle with the judgment of God and I think the reason they do is they don't understand the justice of God. They don't understand the holiness of God. They don't even understand the, the love of God and how many times that God gives people chances to repent and yet they refuse to do so. But this group is singing of God's deliverance of them. Let's continue reading in verse 5. After this, I looked, in the heavenly sanctuary, the tabernacle of testimony was open. Out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues dressed in clean, bright linen with gold sashes wrapped around their chest. Now, this is a scene that could be taking place in the Holy of Holies in the temple. This, again, is the, the heavenly counterpart to what is happening on earth and the clothing that these angels are wear, wearing. Some have likened it to what priests would wear. Others have said it's actually the, the warrior of rule or the, what, a, a, a garment of a ruler or whatever. What's described about the, what they're wearing, though, is that they, the garments are described as being clean, bright linen, And I think all of this pictures to the fact that there's a ceremonial holiness as they stand in the presence of God. In fact, everything that's about to unfold on the earth is due to the fact that God is holy. Let's keep reading in seven and eight. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven gold bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then the sanctuary was filled with smoke from God's glory and from his power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed." Now, there are other occasions in the Bible where we read that the glory of God came in the form of smoke and filled the tabernacle or filled the sanctuary. And in all the cases, when this happened, nobody could approach, nobody could enter into the temple or the tabernacle because the glory of God was there. And that's the image that's being on display here. God is getting ready to unleash his Justice and his wrath upon the world. And I think the pictures don't disturb him. You don't want to be going in there right then. Let's look at a couple of the occasions where this happened. In Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, after Moses had constructed this tabernacle, which was to be a model for a future temple. In Exodus 40 and verse 34, we read, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Even Moses, who is the most humble and righteous man in his day, could not enter the tabernacle when God entered. Now, this was a picture of the fact, of course, that God was coming to dwell among his people, and I think this is exactly what's going to be, of course, happening soon. In the story of Revelation, when Jesus comes back and he's gonna dwell as the Son of God and God the Son among his people. A second time where this happened was when Solomon built the temple, and he offered this prayer of dedication in the temple. He offered sacrifices, and then this is what we read in Second Chronicles 7, 1 and 2. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. Now again, this sounds almost exactly what we read about in Revelation fifteen eight again. Then the sanctuary was filled with smoke from God's glory and from his power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Again, I think this is a picture of the fact God is holy and there are times when nobody can dwell in his presence. He's getting ready to do something. He's, ready, he's getting ready to enter his own presence in the midst of, of humanity A third example, by the way, where we see a a similar dynamic is in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah was called. In Isaiah 6, one, we read, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing before him. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. I think that's so he couldn't, they couldn't look upon God. With two, he covered his feet, which feet represent standing on the dirty ground. And so this is protecting that. And then with two, it says he flew. And one called to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was faced with this vision of the very holiness of God and suddenly he became confronted with his own sin and he said, I am undone here. Now, if you keep reading in Isaiah, you realize that an angel came and said, basically, I declare you holy. I forgive you. I cleanse you of your sin. But when we get to what's about to be unleashed on the world, world, you realize that everything's being let loose. Nothing's being held back. The world is about to experience the very holiness of God, the very wrath of God. Now, this... Seen and these bold judgments that we're about to read about are exactly what Paul was referring to in 1 Thessalonians 5 1 through 3 where Paul wrote about the times and seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, or the day of the Lord. It's a phrase that comes from the Old Testament and the New Testament of this day when God enters into judgment against the world. That day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, suddenly destruction will come on them, like labor pains come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Who is the they in this verse? Well, it's the people of the earth. They're gonna be caught completely off guard. In fact, at the very point in which they're saying, we finally have peace and safety in the world. It's at that point, it's gonna hit them. But we're going to be spared this in the very next verse, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, but you brothers are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Elsewhere, he says to the Thessalonians, you're gonna be spared this. We're gonna be spared the wrath of God. We're gonna be spared the day of the Lord. But at the same time, as I look at this, Paul is saying that we're also gonna know it's happening. We're not gonna be caught off guard. The people of this earth will be surprised. He's gonna come for them like a thief in the night. They're not going to be expecting it. But I think Christians will be expecting it. And this is why it's important, by the way, that we make sure that our standing with God is right, that we have put our trust in Jesus Christ to be our savior. Because God sent his son to die on the cross in our place and for our sin. Jesus took the wrath of God against himself for us, the wrath that we deserve, so that if we put our trust in Jesus, we'll be forgiven. And we ourselves do not have to go through this wrath. wrath. Now next week, we're gonna explore Revelation chapter 16. And I'd like to compare these bold judgments then with the judgments or the plagues that took place on Egypt and make comparisons between the two to realize that what happened back then is something that I think is gonna happen in the future when God begins to judge the world. Let's pray. Father again, thank you that you have not destined us for wrath. And that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be spared this, that you poured out your wrath on your own son, Jesus, so that we could experience forgiveness as a free gift. And I do ask you to help us to take this seriously, to recognize that knowing these things are gonna happen, we should live a certain way. We should be holy and set apart for you. Also realizing these things should, are gonna happen would cause us, so oh Lord, to wanna tell other people about Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.